Last week, Bishop Frank Caggiano was in Sandy Hook to remember the 10-year anniversary of the tragedy at the elementary school with the community. In the first segment of Let Me Be Frank today, Bishop Caggiano is going to talk about his reflections on that, talk about suffering, and importantly, about healing. In the second segment, we'll talk about uh, Bishop's memories of Christmases growing up and his plans for this Christmas, um, as well as New Year's. So that's all ahead on Let Me Be Frank. Keep your radio right here at 1350 AM and 103.9 FM, and always on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. You can download the app at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or at VeritasCatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship and fostering our commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, and from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. My name is Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure as always to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, here we are, my friend. We are ready or not, Christmas is yes. upon us. Yep. <laughs> and are you ready or I, not is the question. Every year I feel less ready than the year before. <laughs> oh my gosh. Is that the truth? This year I felt so pressured. I'm not sure why. But it's like everything's converging. Yeah. Advent was the these last six weeks. Now listen to this is a mouthful. These last six weeks were the busiest period of my entire ministry as far back as I can remember. That's 35 wow. years. And, and I still don't think I achieved any. It's like, you know, like the, the <laughs> hamster on the little wheel that goes round and around and around. I just, I think like, what, when did all this stuff come Is there from? anything in particular you can point to that made it that way this year? I, that's what, that's, <laughs> that's I, I don't know. <laughs> that's the mystery. I don't know. Oh my goodness. I don't know. It's like, it's like the piles on my desk get higher and higher. And they said, but like, do they have bottoms? Like what, where, where? It's almost like you want to throw everything away and start all over again. If it's important, it'll come back. <laughs> but you can't do that. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, I know. Uh, so one of the things. So uh, we are recording this, um, uh, obviously, before it uh, airs. And I know one of the right. things that um, that has been uh, – that one of the things that you did – very recently, Excellency, and I, I don't mean to turn so serious so quickly, but, um, you know, we had uh, Monsignor Weiss on a couple weeks ago. Yes, yes. And yes. Um, so Wednesday, December 14th was the 10-year anniversary of mm -hmm. the tragedy at Sandy Hook. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. uh, you were there to help them commemorate that. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I celebrated Mass and preached the homily. And I, I must tell you, it was, um, I think the right word is poignant to describe the mood in the church. 
because 10 years is a long time. And yet 10 years, if your heart is broken, is a day, yeah. right? So I struggled in my own mind as to what would be the preaching, what, what's the theme that would be appropriate to the moment in this process, because it's an ongoing process, right, of, of, um, of, in fact, healing. And that's ultimately what I chose to talk about is healing and how does one heal? You know, as, as I was reflecting to prepare over these last 10 years, well, first of all, it's hard to believe 10 years have gone by, number one, because it seems like yesterday. Um, in many ways, we've spoken about those who lost their lives. We've spoken about the mother of the shooter mm -hmm. and we've spoken about the shooter previously yes. right and rightfully so because that young man really had severe mental deficiencies d d difficulties and um because no one in his right mind would do that right. at his age yes. no one in his right mind and therefore one of the things i was reflecting on is this question of mental health and when you add to it COVID, it's a, it's, a, it's a growing worry in my mind about young people. But I'll get back to that in a second. The, the real issue that was on my heart were the young people who survived the tragedy. Now, they would be perhaps 16 or 17 years old yeah. now. So they're just about to enter into adulthood. And I made mention of the fact that we pray for them but it is, um, I, I, I wonder to myself, how do you process something like that? I mean, we see things in life that we never forget. We see things that deeply impress us for the positive or the negative. But how does a young person process being in a classroom or in a hall and seeing what you could just imagine was something that was so horrifying, so horrific, right? How do you, how do you move on from that? And I'm sure they've been getting counseling and I'm sure their parents have been very, you know, have been loving them and friends and neighbors and everyone being attentive to them. But I still think it really is an act of grace in the end. I don't think there's a human agency that can help you to heal. I think in the end, you, you do what you need to do for your own benefit and health and well-being, but to actually have some level of healing, it's, it's a gift. It's a gift you have to ask for. It's a gift God will give, but it's a gift. You know, I mentioned two things in my homily. First, um, before Mass began, one of the priests in the sacristy had had uh, reminded me of the uh, bumper stickers that appeared in Newtown, We Choose Love, soon after the tragedy. And that actually I was able to put into my homily, weave it into my homily, because in, in a way, in three words, it summarizes the prerequisite for healing. So whether it is from the tragedy, it's Andy Hook or whether it is an ongoing challenge or tragedy in our own lives, and we all have them, or in the moments when you're, we're deeply conflicted, 
or anxious or suffering and we want to get beyond it, you can't unless you choose love to love, whatever that circumstance demands. And that's extremely difficult when the source of your suffering is a person who has injured you, harmed you, betrayed you, or worse. But I think there is no alternative but that. Because that's the entree. It's, and it only dawned on me, literally as I was preaching, that in a sense, the best way to describe it is when you choose to love, you choose to have God's life enter into your life. And when you do that, you're admitting, you're allowing entrance of the remedy to the suffering and hurt that you have. So if you choose not to love, you're closing the door to the very reality and the only reality that can truly heal you, which is interesting. So whoever had come up with that was a true inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So these young people, I pray that they will choose love so that they can go on the road to full healing as they grow into adults. And I can imagine for someone in their teenage years, that is probably one of the hardest things to do. To choose love in every circumstance. I mean, because to choose to love your parents or your friends or your, or your brothers, sisters, that's something different. But to choose love in every circumstance, that is where a young person full of zeal and energy and life and, and now conflicted with those memories that must haunt right haunt a young yeah. person over and over and just things you can't get out of your head they were the focus of my thoughts and prayers at that very much yeah. so mm-hmm. yeah it's i i mean i can't even imagine the mix of um anger even like p- some people might feel uh guilt Although they, they, you know, they shouldn't, um, for whatever reason, just the emotions that go into. Right. 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 Anger. Anger that's sent out from a person can easily become Mm -hmm. rage, can easily become an uncontrolled passion. In some sense, um, the shooter was probably very angry and in that one moment snapped and it became rage that was directed to all of these innocent people anger directed into yourself can easily become anxiety or depression or both usually they are both and then you close in on yourself and then you could spiral into a dark place so in a sense whether it's rage on the outside or that that depression on the inside, you can easily spiral into a place where you will find it extremely difficult to get out of. And why do I say COVID? Because we've spoken about COVID in the past. So I guess my question is, if COVID detaches you from people, right, the isolation that occurred, and there's a natural need to be social, that must be a, 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 a 
a source of frustration. It could also become a source of anger that one doesn't even realize. And once again, it sits there. And if you don't direct it in the proper channel, it can become a real impediment for your life and the health of your life. You see, in the end, what those young people saw, which I still can't imagine, I honestly can't imagine, and I have a fertile imagination in many ways, I can't imagine what that was. And I think everybody listening should just pause for a moment. And we're not talking 45-year-old. We're talking a seven-year-old. Right? So l- let's contextualize this and to see. And sometimes we'll just say it's horrible, it's horrific. But, but I think there's a real need to sit emotively, emotionally, sit in, that, in, in, in the seat of that little child and try to imagine just the horror of what, and therefore the scars, which was my other point. I mean, the scars always remain, despite cosmetics and what they're claiming on television, also the crazy stuff that they do. Right. When we are scarred physically, 99% of the time, you're going to see some telltale remnant Mm. of it, right? You're going to see something, right? And there are some scars that, quite honestly, I mean, you will be there for your whole life. Same thing for spiritual and emotional scars. You can heal from it, but you are different because of the event, right? You will never be the same. So everyone who involved in the tragedy of Sandy Hook and all these other tragedies that we've heard, and whether you're in the Ukraine now and you're experiencing the war and houses being blown up all around you, you, that person will never be the same having experienced that. It doesn't mean that the person can't heal. It certainly doesn't mean actually that the person could not be stronger, more convicted, more confident, right? More more integrated precisely because of the suffering, but you will never be the same, right? Yeah, yeah, right. And we all, uh, I mean, everybody has suffering in their life. And whether it's a Mm -hmm. chronic ongoing suffering of some sort, or if it's something so acute and sharp, like what happened at Sandy Hook or or living, you know, through a Mm -hmm. war. um, I I think you said this, Excellency, before. I'm I'm pretty sure I got it from you where, you know, one thing about suffering as a Christian is that... uh, we have in Jesus a God who does not stand far off and and say, I'll right. fix it from here. He actually comes alongside us and enters into the pain with us. And knows it intimately. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And he knows it intimately. Right. You know, I may have mentioned the last time we met, I don't recall, but um, Sister Miriam, her statement during one of the retreats sessions at the inauguration of the Institute on the Catechism said something quite profound. She said, suffering that is not transformed is transmitted. Mm, Wow. Suffering that is not transformed is transmitted. And if you think about it, you see it in the lives of people who have been abused by someone else. Many times they were abused at the hands of someone who himself was abused. Mm-hmm. And, they, that, and the suffering, the great pain that they endured was not healed or transformed. And therefore it's transmitted. Right? But, but if it is transformed, then you have a person 
who can be empathetic to someone else's suffering. You have a person who could be extraordinarily insightful and intuitive, who can meet a person and read their face. And this is not poetry. This is fact. This is, I have seen, I have met people like that who have endured tremendous suffering and have turned out to have gifts that they would never have otherwise known they had precisely because of the suffering. And they become tremendous healers of others. But someone has to help them to transform that suffering. Ultimately, it's Jesus who does that. But someone has to be the point of encounter between Jesus and the person. And many times that requires tremendous patience and caring and sometimes a thick skin because if people are angry, they need to let that anger out in a controlled way. Otherwise, it's like poison in a system. This past Sunday, I spoke about patience in my homily at the cathedral. And patience is a commodity in short supply. But it's essential for anyone who's going to accompany another person who is suffering. You need to be patient. You need to have the ability to tolerate or accept frustration, anger, and delay Um, without yourself becoming upset. I pray for patience every day. I pray for patience, okay? Because God has not given me that gift yet in in, in (laughs) large measure. I have some of it, but... So, so 10 years after this horrible tragedy, so where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? The healing process for individuals will continue for some of the parents for their whole lifetime, right? Those scars they will carry. For the community of Newtown, I think they have, they are a remarkable community that's quite unified, right? It's like, it really is like one big family. Yeah. Yeah, isn't it? It's, yeah, isn't I, it? I spent a weekend up there, and it is, uh, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, and it crosses churches and faiths. It, it really is cross, which is tremendous. So that is already in place, right? So I just wondered to myself, um, we we can never forget those who died, but we collectively need to do something positive to make sure there will never be another Sandy Hook. Yes. And after all these years and these 10 years that have passed, I mean, the truth of the matter is, um, we have made very little progress as a country in that regard. Yep. In fact, some would claim we've gone yep. backwards. Yeah, it feels just as bad. And, mm-hmm. Right, and COVID's made that worse, right? It's worse. So, uh, so anyway. Can, so can I ask you about, um, the 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 strength and the healing then that we as Catholics on an ongoing basis can get concretely from the sacraments of confession and uh, the Eucharist. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, if Christ is the if Christ is the remedy, then how do you? If Christ is the medicine, how do you find ways to receive the medicine? We just mentioned one. Right. And there are others. You just mentioned two of the principal ways. The first is the sacrament of reconciliation and penance, because none of us are going to deal with hurt in a perfect way. We're all going to sin in some way, shape or form. 
And therefore, the sacrament provides forgiveness from our sins. But also the grace, again, another entree of the healer. It heals us. It heals our spirit. But he lingers. I love that word. He lingers. He stays. He loiters right? in our souls for as long as we want him to be. And he does things in his own beautiful, invisible, divine way to heal some of those cracks. And then, of course, the Eucharist, we're, we're encountering him in the most profound way you can, this side of heaven. He's coming literally as food. And therefore, if you want healing in your life or you pray for healing in someone else's life, then the most powerful, efficacious way to do that is to come to the Eucharist. And, and if the person is not there, bring that person in your heart to that Eucharist and ask the Lord to find a way to get through so he can apply, grant, give, bless, whatever the person needs to heal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you this much. When I was driving back to Stanford, I've said this often in my life, but it was most poignant um, at the at the celebration of mass in San, for Sandy Hook for, to remember the tragedy, I thought to myself, I can't imagine a person, any person, enduring something like that without faith. Yeah, right. To endure that without a sense that a realization that there's a God who will make right what we cannot make right who can heal in ways no psychiatrist, psychologist, or medicine can ever do. That there is that, that there's only the only path to a, a violence-less world, a world that is in peace, a world where mental illness is not stigmatized and people can be helped before they do harm to themselves or others. The only way people would disagree and I don't care. The only way that can happen is in faith. Yes. And for us as Christians, it's faith in a God who has saved and redeemed us. Right? We go back to the charisma. Not having that, I don't know how you would endure something like yeah, that. Yeah, because uh, uh, going through something like that or for your family or seeing it, your community, for us as Christians, again, I, I, I quote you all week long, <laughs> but, oh but I mean, you have spoken very beautifully in the past about hope and Paul wrote to the Romans that hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts. And so appropriate, uh, actually, um, that our conversation would come to hope and, and what is to come, especially in this time of Advent. Without a doubt, because let's, again, draw the distinction between natural hope and supernatural hope. Natural hope, which every person has, seeks happiness, fulfillment, satisfaction for oneself and the people they love. That's transitory. That does not last. So it's hope always on the road. It's hope always seeking the more. It's hope that is very fragile. Right? When you get the diagnosis of cancer, and you don't have faith, that is a burden that, again, I'm not sure how someone yes. can carry successfully. However, supernatural hope is realizing that our fulfillment's in heaven, 
It's in the glory of everlasting life. It's the fulfillment of Advent, right? It's the coming of the kingdom for me and for all yes. creation. Me at my death, all creation at the end of time. So with your eyes fixed on that, then your hope is not fragile. It's secure in faith. And therefore the sufferings and the pains and the tragedies and everything we endure has a different reference point. Because with natural hope, you cannot overcome death. So if I don't get happy soon, I'm running out of time. But if my hope is the happiness of eternal life, then whatever happens in this life, our obligation is to, is to enhance life as much as possible, to mitigate suffering as much as possible, but not to have fear. Because God will make right what I can't. That's what makes hope in Christ reasonable. Amen. Yes. Yep. And, and right. Yeah. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain on top of that. So. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So I think where we go from here is we have to do some deeper reflection on trying to, to, uh, to, to continue to advocate for positive change. And I think part of that is the offer of, of the charisma in the mm -hmm. end because the world has to come to faith for a lot of this to truly be healed. Yes, amen. Okay, this is a great place to take a break. Um, so this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network with Bishop Frank Caggiano, and uh, we'll be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. So, Excellency, that was, uh, thank you for that reflection. Um, if I can turn it to a slightly lighter note. <laughs> I know where you're okay. going. <laughs> Because, see, we can see yes. each other when we record. And you have your soccer I jersey do. on. You have your jacket on. So I know where you're going. Where are you going, I, Steve? You know, <laughs> the past month for me has been uh, filled with World Cup soccer. Um, really? I am just obsessed. I watch uh, – I, I, so I have my iPad on my desk at work. 
and I have it on. Or I've had it on. You're kidding. Yeah. And uh, really? it's, it, the volume is just up enough. I, I'll glance over once in a while, but, but I know that if the crowd starts swelling a little bit, Screaming. I'll turn and look. So <laughs> it's been amazing. Aren't a you great, funny? great tournament. Aren't you this funny? Year. All right. Let's first, I yes. have two questions. Number one, what was the country you were okay. rooting for? So I had I have had three countries that I root for. So ah, of course the right. United States. Of course, are we are we kick you out? Well, and the thing is, uh, I mean, I, I could talk forever about this, and it would bore you and the audience because I bore ruler with it uh, every day. But we severely underperformed our talent level this year. I think I think really? if we get a world class level coach. In four years from now, when the World Cup comes here to the States, we could compete. We could do what Morocco did this year, which was go to the semifinals at least. So Now, it's coming to New York. It's coming to it? North America, and I'm sure that New York will be one of the venues. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's uh-huh. going okay. to be fun. What do you mean one of the venues? You mean it goes to Oh, yeah. It'll city? be all over. They'll have uh, stadiums in Canada and the U.S. and Mexico where they're playing uh, matches. Is that where the World Cup is going now? It's more than yes. It's in different yeah. places. So Qatar is smaller, but like when it goes to when it was in um, Brazil, for example, a few World Cups ago. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was all over the country, different stadiums, different cities. Oh, yes. I didn't know that. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so so go back to so the yep. United States and I, the other two. I, the I root are? for South Korea because of my heritage. And uh, and I probably will stop rooting for this third team only because all those guys that I love are retiring and going away. But Belgium, Belgium has oh really? They have been this year. They're all old, and so they weren't as exciting. But they were two or three World Cups ago. They were this exciting group of young, fantastic players. Just so much fun to watch. So I have no other ties to Belgium. So uh, <laughs> now let me say, let me ask you a personal yes. question. You said they were yeah. old. How old are they? Yeah, <laughs> old. They're in their mid to late thirties. <laughs> Could you imagine? It makes me ancient. Yes, the ancient of days. <laughs> All right. So now, uh, we're, as we're taping the finals. Yes. Um, yes. So by the time this airs, the finals will have been done. Um, but it, it was also. Oh, so you could do a prophecy. Let me hear. Uh, so Let's it's going to be uh, Argentina versus France. Which is going to be an epic who, battle. Who's winning? So I think it's going to be a very high scoring game. And I think it will be France, but I want it to be Argentina only because I want Messi to win a World Cup. He never has. So. Oh, so you were the Pope. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. A yes. For Argentina. Yes. But it's going to be, I think it's going to be a high scoring game regardless. I'm talking like four or five goals on each side. So, yeah. well, I must confess my my utter <laughs> ignorance on how soccer is played. Complete ignorance, really. Um, and it's and it's unfortunate because you know what's interesting. Uh, there was a report recently on the news that parents in high schools are directing their young people to mm-hmm. soccer over football in far greater numbers because of the injuries that young people have sustained in football. So the difference now, I think they said 20 years ago, the difference was eight to one football to soccer. And now it's almost one and a half to one. 
they believe soccer will there be more young people in soccer than football in the next five years in the high schools around yeah. the country. Yeah, it's because right. it's safer. It's it's a much safer game. All, to although play, I'll right? say, so I, I've already bored all the listeners for four minutes with soccer, but I'll just say about my team that I coach, uh, the high school team that I coach. We had three boys out uh, for parts of the season last fall in the percussion, uh, concussion protocol. But you kidding? But the thing, the other thing about soccer that makes it, I think, increasingly popular is one of the dads on on our team told me this season. He said. I never understood soccer really, but watching the team this year, I can see why it's called the beautiful game. I always thought it was just kick the ball and chase it. He said, but the way the soccer mm-hmm. is being played, I really understand that it really is beautiful to watch. So, mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Well, let's see. Of course, when they air this, we'll, we'll, we'll know whether you are a false <laughs> or a true prophet. Right. <laughs> and don't ask me where I think. <laughs> Hopefully Italy will be in it uh, in four years too. So, oh, I don't care about Italy. It's the United <laughs> <Okay>. States. <laughs> All right. So, one thing that uh, by the time we're on the air with this episode will not have happened yet is Christmas. Oh my! Oh my favorite time of year. And yes. Oh, my tell gosh. us because people love to hear your stories. And no, I just it's it's you know it's a again it's. Christmas for me, um, first of all, as a little boy, made me proud to be Catholic. And the reason was, is because in those days, and even still to, in, the, in, in the modern world, this contemporary world, when every one of my neighbors put up their Christmas lights, it was like saying we're Christian. Like, this is, this is important to us. And... I would, you know, of course, kids love that sort of stuff, decoration. And I would love to watch house after house decorate. And it, uh, and as a pastor, I encouraged people to do that. I encouraged people as, a, as an evangelical act to decorate mm-hmm. your homes with lights, right? Because it is an outward manifestation of faith. But I remember as a little boy, it was just such, a, it gave me such a great feeling to know that we're all together in this. And this is like, and we want to welcome the baby Jesus. Yeah. Now in Bay Ridge in Brooklyn, they still do that. But in Bay Ridge, as you may be aware, is one of the places where this idea of decorating your home is just taken off. And there are homes that have, I mean, literally tens of thousands of lights. It's, oh, it's worth the trip to, it's worth the trip to Bay Ridge. It is some of the most astonishing thing now i'm not sure all of that is due to faith because now it's become more of a rivalry (laughs) and it's become more of a a neighborhood which is kind of sad if that is the case for some people but nonetheless it shows that and then the other piece to the puzzle which i love which is beautiful is because um this time of year is the longest night right of the year so we're peeling away the darkness, right? We're peeling away the, the, the darkness with the lights that we're putting out there because the light of the mm. world is coming. So anyway, it's it, part of the reason I find Christmas to be, even to this, this point in my life, because it's deeply evocative of symbols that do not need explanation, mm. right? 
So to light a candle. So now what I do in the apartment in Brooklyn, when I get time to decorate, which is usually like two days before <laughs> Christmas, but I do the old mariner tradition, right? When men went out to sea, they would light a single candle in every window until they returned. So in a sense, there are, in the front of the house, there's a window with three panes. So the only decorations I put out besides the Christmas wreaths are one lit candle in each pane. And everybody who walks by probably has no idea that that is done to honor the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And to welcome not just Bethlehem, Christ, but to welcome Christ in his glory. Huh. We're waiting for him to come. So it's a perfect way to end Advent, and it's a perfect way to celebrate Christmas because Christmas is all about the second coming in a way. He came the first time so that he could come a yes. second time and redeem all creation, right? So so that's one reason I like her. And the other is the food. Mother of the saints, <laughs> food. <laughs> yeah. Right? So I love hearing about the food from you, Excellency. Well, I'm cooking okay. this year. Christmas oh. Day. So pray that we survive, <laughs> right? You may have another Frank, find another <laughs> Frank to do this. I'm gone. <laughs> but it's it's so, like I've said before, Whole Foods comes to mm -hmm. the rescue for the sides. We're doing uh, filet mignon, which, which, oh yeah, so it's five pounds. <laughs> yeah, so that's my entire salary for December. <laughs> it's basically, so we have to eat it really slow. <laughs> And then there are the hors d'oeuvres. Uh -huh. so, so our Christmas is this. Right. So Christmas Eve, as we know, as most Italian, Italian-Americans still do to yes. some extent, we have fish dinner. So this year, I think there's enough time for me to drive from Stanford to Brooklyn to celebrate Christmas Eve and have the fish dinner, then come back to Stanford for Christmas Mass and Christmas morning, and then go back to Brooklyn for Christmas dinner and oh cook word. when I get there. So this is what we're attempting to do, <laughs> right? Okay, so say a prayer that the traffic doesn't become a real problem. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll be having Christmas meal on the 26th. But anyway, so my sister does Christmas Eve. Okay. That's the whole thing. And and she does some fish. She doesn't do she, Obviously, she doesn't do what my mother used to do, but she does. And so we do that. And then the kids do their thing and they go to bed early. And then Christmas Day, they mm -hmm. open gifts in three places. They open gifts first at Santa Claus is very yes. busy in the Ketchum house because he comes to their yes. own home. Then they go to grandma's. Uh -huh. Then they come to Uncle Frank's. So when they arrive, we have hors d'oeuvres a bit. They're biting uh -huh. at the bit. And then we open gifts for the third time. For me, the first time. For them, right. the third time. And that takes, oh gosh, it's like two wow. hours. Yeah. At least. Because we have a ritual. Our ritual is you don't open gifts simultaneously. Ah, no. okay. They don't just tear into them. You open them one. No, 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 no. You open them. No, because then they wouldn't know what they got. <laughs> right, exactly. No, 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 no. So we open them mm -hmm. one by one. We start with the oldest. It's very cool, actually. We start with the oldest, we'll work our way to the youngest. <laughs> this year, we'll start with the youngest, okay. work our way to the oldest. Yeah, and so that takes a while. And it's fun. For Christmas, we've gone, it's fun. 
And then by that time, I have an opportunity to steal away, get some yep. stuff ready, put the, the meat in the oven. And then usually by 4.30-ish, 5 o'clock, okay. we eat. And then there's the desserts. Oh, my God. Whole Foods has let me down, though, tremendously. Because their desserts, uh, well, I should say <laughs> the air, I suppose, but... Suffice it to say, I'm not buying the desserts at Whole Foods. Okay. I bought everything else, but not that. Because it just, like two years ago, they had a Chantilly cake to yeah. die for. Oh, my God. It was, the, but huh. no more. Now I think it's all this healthy stuff. Who wants healthy stuff? You need on to Christmas? find a great Italian <laughs> bakery. That, oh, oh good. I have okay. one. Oh, yeah. Villa Bate Alba. Villa, oh, absolutely. On 73rd and 18th. Oh, nice. oh, my God. They were my parishioners when oh, I was nice. there. Okay. Oh, the food. Oh, the pastries there are out of this world. But I mean, out of this world. So we're gonna have to we have to figure out how to get yeah. there though, because the line is tremendous. And now I'm no longer pastors. So <laughs> <up the line. laughs> right, that's breaking protocol. So we have to figure out how to. Maybe my sister will do that. Maybe in fact, when we finish recording, I may call her. <laughs> Put that on a to do list. There, yeah, there's a yeah. great Italian bakery in Stamford. They're not. They, they should advertise on here, but I'll mention their name anyway. Uh, it's Damare yeah. Bakery in Stanford. Oh, they're so good. But they're always. Where's that? It's in. Um, Where's that? It's in uh, uh, Springdale, by the Springdale train station. Oh yes, and um, got it. Got but it. they're. Got it. I've had their food. They're, they're it's multi generational Italian family, and mm-hmm. they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. But you know what it is? I've had it many times, but it's always been oh, brought to me. Okay. I've never gone there. So maybe I should pay a visit, a yeah, pastoral visit. There you go. Ah, Christmas time. What, uh, so uh, uh, I, uh, I'm guessing you don't do the midnight mass, Excellency, anymore. Well, I must tell you, most parishes don't have midnight mass. Actually, it's interesting. In the revised sacramentary, the third edition, it's no longer called midnight ah, mass. Okay. It's called Mass at Night. The Holy Father doesn't celebrate Midnight Mass. He celebrates Mass, I believe, it's at 9.30 at night. And uh, everybody knows who's listened to this podcast. I'm an early yes. riser, and I go to bed early. So um, certainly if, if there was a, a pastoral need to have Mass at midnight, um, I would do it. Certainly I'd celebrate and celebrate the best of my ability. But I find praying that late at night is extremely difficult mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Right. And you have to be present consciously to yes. it. Right. So if I have a choice, I would choose a different mass than the one at night. So for example, at the cathedral, Father Arthur, who is going to be installed as the pastor and the rector of the cathedral, he will celebrate midnight mass. I will take the very first Christmas morning okay. mass at 8 30. Okay. Yeah, which is great. No, I'm sorry. It's the second mass. First mass, seven o'clock. The, the second mass at eight thirty, which is the mass I have every Sunday. That is what the, the one I will celebrate. Nice. Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. We we started going to midnight masses um, where we could find them, and and St. Mary's in Ridgefield is having one this year, um, and I think we're gonna because mm-hmm. yes, at midnight. It's at, at midnight. midnight, and I think. I think it's because we didn't do it because our kids were too young to stay up. And now that our youngest daughter is old enough to stay up, she, I think she thinks of it as something kind of like a treat to be able to go, go out yeah, and do that. So, right. 
Yeah, exactly. Now, tell me about your Christmases now. Everybody knows my <laughs> stuff here that's going on. What about yours? Uh, <laughs> uh, so I, my memories as a child, it was me and my younger brother. He's three years younger. And I just remember, um, besides church, my biggest memory is just uh, a ton of snow and a ton of presents. <laughs> Typical kid, <laughs> typical young person. There you go. No, but I mean, like for yeah. food, is there is there a traditional Korean way to celebrate uh, Christmas? Not for Christmas, because uh, Korea, for thousands of years, was not Christian, and now right. I, it's. I think it's one of the most Christian countries in Asia now. But I don't think there's any traditional Korean foods. We always uh, did traditional American stuff, uh, food wise, for for oh. holidays. Um, with some Korean food mixed in, but there is for New Year's Day, there's a traditional mm -hmm. Korean food. It's a it's a hearty, like a, almost like a beef stew with um, with these rice cakes in them. It's delicious, but I don't. But wow. I, I don't know why that's the tradition. I'm sure it has some symbolic meaning, but I just don't know what it is. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh no, of course. No, no, of course, of course. Like we would have. You know, it's funny. Christmas Eve. I do remember. Well, now that you mention it, it's interesting. I had not thought about this in a while. I do remember that mom would make spaghetti alge e olio, garlic and oil. It would not have a red sauce. And again, because Christmas Eve was considered a day of okay. penance. All right, that was the custom. It wasn't on the calendar of the church, but it was a custom. Um, and so the red sauce was Christmas Day, not Christmas hmm. Eve. Now it's one of the it's one of the favorite ways for me to eat pasta. Yeah, with garlic yeah. and oil. First of all, it's very healthy. Second of all, yes. it's delicious. And third of all, you, you kind of think it's like a dietary version <laughs> of eating pasta, right? It's kind of like simply so you, you don't feel as guilty yeah. eating as much. <laughs> yep. But now we will not have pasta this year. No. So what's the menu for Christmas Day? Who's cooking? Uh, <laughs> well, it should never be me. If anybody wants to eat, it should never be me. So, oh, you're no, not a cook no. then. No. So our no. our uh, plans as of our recording are still um, up in the air. But uh, if we're home, it'll be definitely Rula. Um, and mm -hmm. but one of Rula's brothers is a chef who graduated from the Culinary Institute of America. So we like oh, going to kidding. his house, and also. Oh my. And also when we go to my little brother's house, his wife is a fantastic cook as well. So we can't yeah. lose. So, yeah. So like would a typical Christmas meal be what? Like turkey? Yeah. I, no, we don't do the turkey and... for, uh, for Christmas. Uh, gosh, now I can't think of what we must do. We must do some kind of beef roast as well. Yeah. I just. Yeah. yeah. I would like ham. One year we did ham. Mm. Delicious. But the only two people who ate it with any gusto was my nephew and myself. <laughs> All the rest of them kind of looked right. at it. I, I said, "Don't you did you ever read Doctor Zeus in the book? The, 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 whatever that was, it's a ham. <laughs> <laughs> it's a ham." <laughs> oh gosh! Do, did you uh, did you have any New Year's Eve traditions growing up? Okay. Yes, we go to bed before <laughs> twelve. That's the tradition. No parties or anything. Okay. Oh gosh, no. No, not even as a little boy. Did, I don't. I don't ever remember staying up to. Midnight. How about 
since you were in Brooklyn and it feels like it should be close to mm-hmm. Manhattan, did you ever go into Times Square even once in your life? You did. Once. 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 I, I never. So let me clarify. At home. Uh-huh. At home. I, I don't ever remember staying up till midnight. Again, I'm an early ride. When, when, when midnight? <laughs> I'm getting up at four. <laughs> so that's one. But out, I've been up. So St. Dominic's, one of the biggest fundraisers we had was New Year's Eve party and dinner. Mm. And we had dancing and music and the food was great. And it would last maybe to like 1.30. And we would start with uh, mass. So, and then off we went. And that, that yeah. was a lot of fun. You would have like 300 people at it. Oh, that's awesome. People at it. it was great. And then one year, uh, two priest friends of mine who were traveling, right, um, came to New York. And uh, they were able to get the days like from like the 29th to the 2nd mm-hmm. off, right? And so they came to New York and they said, we want to go to Times Square, blah, blah, blah. And do you want to come? So I forget where I was. I don't know if I was at St. Dominic. So maybe I was a curate at the time. I just don't remember. So I joined them. Okay. But I still had obligations in the parish the next day, but I went. Mm -hmm. Right. So I joined them for dinner and we were outside and watching for this ball to come down. And all the while I'm thinking to myself, what (laughs) am I doing here? What? Like, why? People love it. And I think it's tremendous. I think it's, and they should have a grand old time. And it was just, it was safe. There was a, but you're standing there for like a couple of hours. Freezing cold. Right. And then when it, yeah. yeah. And then it falls and then you say, okay, great. I'm going home. (laughs) But now see, because most of the people there, they continue to party and stuff. But I mean, yeah, uh, Yeah. we have, we have ministry to do. (laughs) But I'm glad I did it. I'm very grateful. Maybe it's something those who live nearby that could drive. It's something maybe to put on yeah. your bucket list to just do once and just experience because you could feel the energy of the crowd. Yes. That that I will yes. not forget. It, it, it was like you could. It was the same experience when the Pope came in Madison Square Garden. You have this energy that goes through the crowd. And yes. Like, wow. yeah. yeah. So yeah. I'm just just going to note you you equated the Pope to the dropping of the Times Square ball. So. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And I also made him an Argentinian soccer <laughs> yes. fan. I hope he is a fan of soccer. Otherwise, I'm going to be transferred to <laughs> Albania, Siberia. Can I? Can I tell one? I feel like a delinquent Korean because uh, I don't. I'm. I haven't been able to answer your questions about Korean traditions. But I tell you, <laughs> that's all right. New New Year's Day. There's a Korean tradition. Yep which uh, my family always Mm -hmm. participated in growing up. So I can talk about this. Mm -hmm. It's kind of different. So uh, on New Year's Day, Koreans have this, I guess it's like almost like a ceremony where you wish your elders, so your grandparents, your parents, your aunts and uncles, Happy New Year Mm -hmm. by, Mm -hmm. they set up a mat and your elders will sit like uh, one at a time or, or as a couple at at one in the mat. And then the young people come up and they take turns with your siblings and you, you bow to them and you get, do these tri- deep, deep bows and you say uh, a sentence in Korea, which is basically like wishing your elders good fortune for the upcoming year. Really? Yeah. And then, and then the, the elders, when you, after you do the bow, they will um, give you money, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> and then 
Oh, I want to come <laughs> to that tradition. <laughs> and, then, and then they uh, they give you uh, some advice and some words of wisdom for you for the upcoming year. So that's that's a little thing. So oh, wow. I'm not I'm not the world's worst Korean, <laughs> and I know something. <laughs> no, you're not. No, but isn't that well? That's interesting, though. See, it's one of the things I marvel at uh, at cultures from the Far East that, that the elderly, and we've spoken mm-hmm. about that, are revered and and have a rightful mm-hmm. place. That's not necessarily true yes. anymore in yep. the West, right? So, but they have to be physically there. Yes. In other words, yep. Yep. So we that. would always. I remember always uh, for New Year's Eve, as a kid, <laughs> it would we would get together with our cousins and our grandparents and and spend New Year's together. And then the next morning we would get up and do this and then have that, that traditional stew that I told you about. So As yeah. a, wow, 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 wow. These are the things that matter to help me create that culture that we spoke about two or three mm. sessions ago, the traditions, the yes. foods, the customs form people in faith. Yeah. Because you could imagine just from what you described of this beautiful ceremony of honoring the elders. If you read the book of Revelation, that is what the angels do to the one seated on the throne. Yes. Holy, holy, holy. Yeah. Right. And, and so again, it's evocative because we're formed in a part of our lives that we don't always have full access to, but it's who we are to imagination gets formed. It's beautiful. Isn't that also, Excellency, I know we need to wrap up in a couple of minutes, but isn't that also a beautiful thing about the United States where all these different cultures come together, hold on to a part of their tradition, but also become fully American. But it's also true in the church. You look at the way different things are celebrated in the church around the world, and it's the same idea, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. The difficulty is we don't consciously and intentionally make it a point of importance to share the knowledge of those customs and traditions, one or the other. And that's how we mutually get enriched is hearing about those things. Like, for example, as I said to you before, when when I was in parish work in an Italian, I mean, it may be true also in many Hispanic communities the at midnight mass or the mass at night. And we used to do it in, in the parish at all the masses, right? To bring in the baby Jesus, the celebrant carrying the baby Jesus and placing the baby Jesus in the manger and asking everyone, right? So we're singing the Christmas carols, then everything stops and the Lord's in the manger and there's a moment of silence, a pause, adoration and then you conclude the hymn it's just absolutely beautiful and you remember what susan said about padre pio carrying the baby jesus it you see the connections right so we don't have the same intimate relationship with the lord that padre pio had because he carried Hmm. the lord as a child but we're carrying his image in our own kind of poor humble way to 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 ask the grace to see him awesome Right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you're listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. We'll uh, come back with a listener question on the other side of the break. Hey, it's Matt from Restless on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. 
Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed up world. Join us each Friday at noon on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, we have a a, a pretty deep, interesting question here. Um, So we got this email and it says, uh, Bishop Frank, when we pray, we are told that if we have faith and don't doubt in our heart at all, our prayer will be answered. But then we're also told to pray that God's will be done, meaning it might not happen based on his will for your life. So... Mm-hmm. How are you supposed to have perfect faith when there's always the caveat that it might not be God's will? Well, I would think the simple answer to that question is the perfect prayer says, um, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. At the heart of all Christian prayer should be the petition and desire to do God's will. So in a sense, I understand where a potential contradiction would be if one presumes that what I want is what I need, but what we want is not essential. What we need is what God is precisely willing to give us. And that should be our prayer. Yeah. Make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, Um, so if I if I understand it, you're saying it's more it, it's more about us aligning also our will to God's. Correct. Yeah. In the end. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. If you pray for X and X does not come, then you must know in faith X was not what you needed. What well, was not for your ultimate good. And the older I get, to be very honest, the less I ask for specific intentions. Because God already knows. It's really a prayer to A, that his will be done, and B, that I can accept his will, whatever it is, in terms of this person, that situation, this person. Mm -hmm. So if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And we would like to thank our sponsor, Foundations in Faith. It's a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport. And you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, thank you so much for today and Merry Christmas. Yes. Yes. A Merry Christmas to you. Right. And we'll see each other for before yes. New Year. Yes. And would you so, give us all yes. a Christmas blessing? Yes, of course. Lord, our God, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of the birth of your son, who is our savior and redeemer. May the light of Christmas enlighten our hearts. May it give warmth to this troubled and sometimes very cold world. May it renew us in faith and hope. We ask, Heavenly Father, that if it is your will, that this be the merriest of all Christmases, especially for those who are suffering and in need. And we ask your blessings, Father, in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas, my friend. Merry Christmas. Don't eat too much. (laughs) All right. I will see you. I will see you afterwards. All the best. Bye-bye.